Welcome to the Visa Path to Access podcast series. I'm your host, David, and in today's episode titled The Access Imperative, Unpacking the Strategic Playbook, we're delving into a crucial discussion on financial accessibility. The world is rapidly transforming, and as we embrace a digital first future, we must confront the fact that 1.7 billion adults continue to be excluded from essential financial services. But we're not here to dwell on challenges only. We're here to unpack the strategies steering us towards a more inclusive future, explore solutions, share insights, and chart the way forward. Joining us are Anna Mai, a FinTech leader, CEO, and founder of CreateLink, and Godfrey Sullivan, Senior Vice President and Head of Strategy for Central and Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa, Samia at Visa. Thank you both for being here with us today. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to join the podcast and share the stage with Godfrey. Thank you, David. Great to be here today and uh, look forward to the discussion with yourself and Anna. Well, very nice. Well, uh, to start things off, um, if I could just ask both of you, Anna first, and then Godfrey, uh, to just introduce yourself and provide an overview of uh, a bit of background on your careers. And I'm also keen to hear about uh, how the topic of financial access resonates with you personally and professionally. So yes, Anna, please uh, please share that with us. Thank you, David. So I've been in financial services, including payments, digital payments for more than 20 years. So for me, this is also how I can really just witness the evolution of digital payments, starting from digital wallets. And I introduced one of the very first digital wallets in the CIMIA and really very basic link to either a payment card or to the bank account by rather prepaid one. So we can really talk about that. So this is how it started professionally. So the financial inclusion topic is really close to my heart. But having said that, I gradually shifted towards more emerging technologies, including AI for payments. I've been a FinTech leader for PwC, driving the, the FinTech agenda in Europe. And now I do wear different hats. As you mentioned, I'm a CEO and founder of CreateLink that connects startups in FinTech and innovation. But I'm also working with VCs. So I have this like more investment VC inside Travel Capital. And I do work a lot with um, fintech startups and tech startups, generally speaking. So I have this kind of an overview, looking at different services and different products in the financial services world, including all the solutions that enable or empower financial inclusion. And personally, I do educate and speak a lot. I teach open innovation. I teach digital transformation. So also, this is a kind of a journey into digital or financial inclusion. Uh, great to, to be speaking on the podcast with you, Anna. Um, so I've uh, similarly been in financial services for about the last 25 years or so. I currently lead our SAMEA region, which is a fantastic region. We have almost 90 countries from uh, with a whole range of innovations in financial services from Central Asia, everything that's uh, uh, happening there around uh, closed loop wallets and, and government involvement to the, the GCC in a very forward looking agenda on financial services to all of the innovation in Africa and the fintech scene and, uh, and mobile money. Uh, prior to Visa, I was managing director at the Boston Consulting Group for many years, uh, focusing on the Middle East uh, region predominantly, as well as Africa, working both with 
banks helping to launch new banks into the market, most recently Whale, which was launched in uh, Abu Dhabi, but also working with central banks and governments around the challenges of access. So I led the uh, financial sector development program for, as part of the Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia, as well as the UAE payment uh, strategy. So it's part and parcel of the day job and has been for a very long time. On, on a personal perspective, my father actually spent about 20 years in British Cameroon. And so within the family, the point of, of access and, uh, and inclusion uh, was always something that was, uh, that was part of the family. So there's also a kind of a personal connection as well. Wow, very, very nice. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, now, to get started on our discussion, uh, again, I'd like to ask both of you, uh, just what are your key insights into the urgency? You know, how urgent is the access imperative in today's rapidly evolving digital landscape? And uh, Anna, we'd uh, check in with you first and then Godfrey. Yeah, thank you, David. And um, as you mentioned, this is very urgent because the landscape is changing at a fast pace. And this is not only for financial services, we have a broader perspective into tech world and digital world. So we really see this phenomenon, how even exponentially the digital services and products are developed and grow and they are introduced into the market. If you look even at the mobile applications, we have millions of applications and this is rapidly growing. It is expected in the coming years that the number of uh, new mobile applications will grow up to 500 million. So you have to understand the technologies, you have to know how to use the technologies. And it comes with, uh, with education, it comes with skilling and upskilling. So for me, if we look at the fast changing environment, this is the key, how we really learn, how we are trained to use new technologies, digital technologies, including the technologies related to payments or to financial services. And access to financial services is also instrumental because we have to understand the word, not only payments, how we transact, or do we have a bank account or not? But there are certain layers or levels into financial inclusions, also access to credit, which is key for individuals, but also for small businesses and merchants. And I'm pretty sure that we will develop or expand on that later on. But this is, this is nowadays a must have for societies, for organizations and for people as individuals. Uh, so I think from a uh, visa perspective, access, is focused very much around financial inclusion and access to financial services. Uh, and I think there's a danger that we can almost take this for granted. You can go onto an app and you have like dozens of different uh, payments experiences and fintechs that you can uh, that you can download. But across this Samia region, there are 500 million people who do not have access to banking services. And from a practical point of view, this means is it's difficult to save. You have cash and you literally have to save it somewhere in your house, which results in a whole bunch of problems and, and security to borrow, you can't go to a bank, you have to go to your friends or your family, which is in itself, you know, somewhat, somewhat awkward to grow a business and to get funding to support support that. Again, you have to rely on your 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 close network. And I think now that we're going in after years of loose money into economically 
increasingly challenging times, whether it's through inflation or currency instability in Nigeria or in Egypt or, or, or Ghana or elsewhere. I think it's more than more than ever is very important to ensure that we address these these challenges, uh, particularly around financial inclusion and access. Because of uh, what you mentioned and the fact that digital payment accessibility is shaping how financial service providers are designing their products and services. Can you tell us some of the key trends that are driving this transformation and how this has changed over time? And uh, again, Anna, maybe you could start first. Thank you, David. So of course, as Godfrey already said, Simia is a fascinating, fascinating region. And I also have this experience because I mostly uh, work in Europe and I'm coming from Central Europe. But recently I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, especially in the GCC countries. And I work for one of the leading payments providers in the MENA, so operating 20 countries. And I think what is really key is access to financial services, but also the customer oriented perspective. I still remember the times like 20 or more than 20 years back when we were thinking in terms of innovation. So we were coming up with new products and new services, new applications, and then we were testing uh, these applications or experimenting with customers and getting their feedback. And it doesn't mean that we as organizations are right. Now it's, a, it's another trend which is very much of importance. And also this is a distinguishing factor, not only in the financial, um, in the financial services, which is a customer experience, which is an instrumental factor how we want to deliver, how we want to first design, how we want to develop, build, and deliver the product. So we should ask customer first what they really need and uh, what is the customer journey, how we can really design the journey, the customer journey, personalized uh, customer journey. And even if we talk uh, about financial inclusion, kind of a uh, basic or simple uh, products as access to payments without even bank account, with prepaid account, the customer interface, which is simple, uh, which is seamless, which is easy to navigate and understand is a key. So let me give you an example of QR codes. Of course, if we talk about digital wallets, digital wallets are everywhere, especially in Asia and Europe. In the Middle East, they are QR code driven and there is a lot of digital wallets and people love QR codes there, which is not necessarily the case in Europe, which is more NFC enabled and linked to the bank account. But once they, leave, they really love QR codes, this is the interface they communicate. So the interface should be easy to navigate and seamless, as I said. And of course, this is the case in, Central, uh, in Asia as well, in APAC, in Asia Pacific. But uh, also for India, for example, when that, uh, the smartphone um, proliferation or adoption is not that big, because of course we are talking about smartphones and digital enablement, but it is not the case in every region or in every country. So we still have mobile phones. This is the case in Africa. This is the case in, uh, in uh, in India or in some other uh, countries, uh, emerging countries. So we have audio QR codes. So instead of visual representation, we have audio representation. So Google, for example, introduced that. And then people can use audio QR codes. And of course, they can really initiate payments using this interface. So this is something which is maybe not the most innovative or disruptive technology, but this is more related to the process innovation and how we can really address the needs and address the, the objectives and the expectations of the consumer uh, population 
especially given the specifics of different regions or different geographies. So we should really start from the customer, understand the customer feedback and provide the best or optimal customer interface for a certain segment. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on from, from my side. I think the uh, the one thing that you observe going across so many markets is tailoring offerings to the specifics of the consumer segments in those different markets is is so key and something that will work fantastically well in one geography, you know, is potentially struggling elsewhere. Uh, I think from my point of view, uh, in addition to the, the customer experience and the way at various forms that that's evolving, I think there's three big players uh, or groups of players that have kind of come into the market which are really driving uh, uh, change and which Visa is actively partnering very closely with. So I think the one of the first ones of these is mobile money uh, and starting with M-Pesa but then broadening out to, to a number of the mobile money players across Africa. They have really uh, thought about how to combine their telco business with mobile money uh, and it's taken a while to to be successful uh, but it's they're in it for the for the long term we have a uh, a very good partnership with uh, M-Pesa across their operations in uh, in sub-saharan africa and they're driving a lot of uh, of innovation the other big group is the the burgeoning fintech sector uh, there are uh, we run Visa everywhere. We have 1,600 entrants from across the Samia region of innovative fintechs in all aspects of payments, uh, thinking how they can uh, address some of these challenges around uh, the, the 500 million unbanked. And I think the final element is the role that government is playing. And this is changed uh, a lot over the last couple of years. I think many have been inspired by the successes in India, and we're seeing the rollout of RTP, real-time uh, payment platforms, to a number of uh, geographies, and even the introduction of CBDCs, maybe 100 countries are piloting this, it's live in Nigeria today. And I think as government becomes more involved, I think they're a very important enabler uh, to address the challenge of uh, access. With that in mind, with those trends and those major players, um, how do we ensure that the access imperative is fixed on the agenda? You know, is enough being done in that regard? I wanted to, to, to touch upon what Godfrey said before, and which is a brilliant point on how governments and hence central banks or regulators can be involved. And this is a very good example of what, happening, what is happening in Africa. So Central Bank of Nigeria and government of Nigeria, which is very much in the forefront of CBDC experimentation, I would say, because it is said that more than 100 countries, as you indicated, in, uh, across the world is experimenting or are experimenting now with CBDCs. But CBDCs, this is about digital money, about um, digital currencies, but also open banking and Central Bank of Nigeria is very much again in the uh, in the forefront and is uh, pushing the open banking agenda, which of course we know from Europe and Middle East is very much into open banking, uh, uh, starting with Central Bank of Bahrain, it was the first one in the Middle East to introduce open banking framework and then of course uh, Saudi, as we mentioned also, the, this is very much aligned with uh, Saudi 2012 division. Uh, so open banking and open data, and of course this is also an enabler 
for financial inclusion to be happen uh, to, to happen and to materialize because we mentioned digital payments of course this is alternative payments alternative to cards and uh, payment schemes including visa are very much into open banking as well enabling this and also very much about open data so i think uh, because we can use alternative data and alternative data sources for people to enable credit scoring or access to to credit even access to payments if they don't have cards so i think this is a very good point how it can be really fixed into into the agenda or fixing the agenda so we need this collaborative effort so we don't only need like the big payment schemes we need fintech startups uh, we need other stakeholders in this ecosystem including governments or including uh, central banks or other regulators so i would really enhance the uh, the message here and i would really like to to, to emphasize the the important role of uh, collaborative effort and collaboration across uh, different, even different sectors, not only financial services, just to, to add to it. Indeed, I think that's exactly right. And I think one of the historical challenges uh, has been around finding a sustainably profitable economic model, because part, a large part of the reason why there are uh, 500 million unbanked uh, customers in the region is that businesses have struggled to serve them in an economically profitable manner and government can step in and you know do some fixes and provide some kind of guidance but to have a long-term sustainable uh, proposition it's important that it's economically viable and that's not straightforward because there's not a huge amount of revenue for these fintechs uh, there's cost of regulation there's cost of serving customers so in order for it to be sustainable it needs a very thoughtful business model a low cost business model to continue to serve this large base of customers uh, in a way which is addressing their needs and, and filling this clear uh, clear market opportunity, but doing so in a, in a profitable way. And I think there's a number of super interesting fintechs that we partner with and, in, and invest in that have you know, begin to hone the really good model of serving that low cost, uh, that, that, that low income base in a cost effective manner. Okay, so that uh, profitability issue is one thing, but what are the other pressing challenges to widespread financial access for underserved communities right now? Yeah, so some of the challenges, of course, if we talk about access, access to financial services, to payments, or even to other digital services, this is the infrastructure. And of course, we are changing the, the definition of infrastructure a little bit because, of course, for physical points, you need, like, for example, POS, you need some terminals to, to, to have access to the payment network. And this is important for both merchants, but also for consumers. And now it's changing and it's much more digital. Uh, it's much more digital and it's becoming uh, more and more digital. So it's very much software driven and we have open software driven ecosystem for POS network. We also have SoftPost, for example, but this is very much an enabler into uh, creating and building the payments network and access to the, let's say, payments or financial services network. So I would really highlight here the, the role of um, or importance of the infrastructure, having in mind that it's changing and becoming more digital. 
So if we take the example of soft pause, which is very much also on the uh, payment schemes agenda, but also on uh, PSPs or acquirers and merchants themselves, uh, just nowadays, you only need your mobile phone, your smartphone or any other device like tablet to enable it and to accept payments. So this is very much into enabling people to do their businesses and also to be creators in the economy to, to deliver some goods and services. But uh, this is the link to infrastructure that we have to, to build uh, very much physical one but also much more digital nowadays, and also if we have this future-oriented agenda. So I would say, of course, services and products are very important, but the network around it, the entire ecosystem, including infrastructure, is also a key point here. Godfrey, uh, specifically for you, uh, because I wanted to bring up Visa's commitment to digitally enable 50 million small and micro businesses worldwide. I mean, that's an impressive number, but can you provide any insight into the challenges Visa's encountered along this journey towards this commitment of uh, 50 million small and micro businesses? Uh, indeed, and it is a it is a daunting challenge, uh, but the good thing is we're doing, we're doing pretty well. So we're up to 41 million uh, so far and on track for to realize the target by the end of this year to get to that number of uh, 50 million uh, SMEs that have been digitally enabled. Uh, across the Africa and Central Asia region, I think there are three important challenges that, that come to mind. And the first one is slightly mundane, but very consequential one, is just the geographical fragmentation in, in, in India, India is great. We've got 1.4 billion people, one market. <laughs> you can just roll out one system and, you know, if you launch a fintech and, it's, and it serves a huge population. In Africa, you have 54 countries, each with their own specificities, each with their own regulations uh, that require licensing as, a, uh, as a, either a bank or a fintech starting to, uh, uh, to compete. And so just that geographical fragmentation is a challenge in its own uh, uh, in its own right. So we have to have, you know, <laughs> teams on, you know, in many of these markets working on the enablement of the, the SME sectors. Now, I think the second important part is finding the right partners. Uh, there are about 350 Payfax payment facilitators uh, that are providing access for merchants to uh, networks such as uh, such as Visa, uh, and we spend a lot of time working with those Payfax to help them grow their business, but also to do it in a compliant way so that we ensure that these are legitimate businesses that are conforming to the regulatory requirements of the of the respective countries and the trust and security of the of the broader visa network uh, so finding those right partners is uh, is probably the second point and then the third point is around merchant education and as you bring merchants into the uh, into the acceptance network these are not always merchants that are terribly familiar with how does a POS machine work or a soft POS machine. So 
there's a lot of effort that goes into the merchant education side. We have this fantastic partnership in Pakistan with an organization called Diraz, which is an e-commerce platform, uh, hugely popular in the, in the country. And you've got 5 million small merchants in, in Pakistan. Uh, and we've partnered up with them. They have a Diraz University. And we've got now 150 different courses uh, that you can access as a small business to learn about a variety of different assets of how you can digitally enable your business. And there's 20,000 merchants who have gone through those different courses uh, and as a result are slowly but surely contributing to, uh, to that large target. Okay, some really good examples and use cases there. Um, the next question is for both of you, and I'd like to look a little bit further on the horizon because as we've already said, the financial landscape continues to evolve. So what are the midterm challenges that you anticipate in expanding access to financial services? You know, and how can we proactively address these? I think from my side, there's, there's three important challenges. And I think Anna touched on it really nicely earlier on around the point on collaboration. And I think collaboration is very much the name of the game. Uh, as we think about the challenges. And challenge number one is extending the financial inclusion net and partnering is key to that. Uh, we spend an awful lot of time uh, working on our partnerships with the ecosystem uh, players and, and cultivating them. I think two programs which are super interesting. One is the FinTech Partner Connect, where of all these fintechs, many of the banks say, you know, which one should we partner with? So we run a process where those fintechs come to us, we run them through an assessment to validate the business model and you know, the team and the, and the technology, and then plug them into what we call Fintech Partner Connect, which in turn allows them to uh, reach, you know, allows all of the banks, the 1,600 banks across the Samia region to say, oh, this is this is part of the, the visa program and a, and a player that we can work with. I think that's, that's part of extending the network. The other one, which uh, is, has just been launched, uh, we actually have a call on uh, next week, is the Africa Accelerator program, where we have gone a little bit lower to the uh, seed and series A businesses and said, how can we actually share our expertise and help these businesses to, uh, to stand themselves up and grow and scale, uh, whilst Visa also investing in those uh, businesses at that at that early stage to provide them with the capital to uh, to expand. We've had a phenomenal response. Hundreds of entrants have come in, and now we're running through the process of evaluating which of those fintechs is going to be in the first cohort, the second, et cetera. So extending the network is, is part of it. And then I think the second part is enabling financial uh, services uh, to, those, uh, to those businesses. Uh, and in that regard, you know, P2P is a hugely important use case for, for many, particularly uh, across the, the, the Samia region, transacting you know, with payments back and forth to, to family uh, and making it easy on that point that Anna was talking about, uh, the customer experience. People are not going to enter these long IBANs numbers. It has to be based on the mobile number. We have our visa alias directory and we're slowly working at putting 
uh, all of the mobile numbers of the partners that we have into an alias directory. So sending money is as easy as sending a, a text message. And I think the final part of it is then you know uh, addressing the the merchant challenge and the uh, and the access to uh, to merchants in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, went there, took my kids horse riding there a while ago, and we have a market, uh, the the Dordoi market, uh, which has about fifty thousand merchants. Open air market, one of the biggest in Central Asia, uh, and we've been working with the association for the market, and so far signed signed up ten thousand of those merchants to accept. Uh, real-time digital payments and just simplify their uh, their management of money and to bring these previously uh, uh, entities that were excluded from formal financial services into digital financial services, which helps them have access to you know better data and to eventually get credit for their businesses as they look to expand. So I think those are those are three super important areas from my side. Anna, do you have anything else that you would like to add for as far as midterm challenges that you're looking at? Oh, yeah, sure. And I would briefly touch upon something that was already mentioned, but it's it's really extremely demanding, but also extremely important or even burning to, to understand the payments ecosystems. And of course, all the challenges also related to the financial inclusion. And we face the fragmentation of the geographies, especially in Africa, we, we have like almost 500 different payments methods um, on top with 200 digital wallets, and it's very fragmented. So uh, the, the key uh, or the solution to the problem is interoperability. And this is something that we really need, especially in certain regions. Imagine we have a digital wallets proliferation in Africa and the Middle East, but these wallets, they don't talk to each other. So we really need them to talk to each other, to be interoperable. Yeah, good point. Uh, and a really uh, thoughtful thing to mention uh, looking forward. Now, based on the challenges that you've both discussed, though, I'd like to turn towards strategy and ask both of you, what are the main strategic priorities that the industry needs to adopt to narrow the access gap? And uh, Godfrey, would you like to go first? I think that as we look to narrow this gap, uh, there's our banking partners and there's our, our our fintech partners. I think on the banking side, uh, some banks have struggled to address the the point of access. Uh, there is incredible demands on banking IT departments, firstly to adhere to compliance and the regulatory requirements. There's innovations that come down from the board and the uh, and the, the CEO uh, to develop new uh, propositions. And I think one of the important areas that Visa is looking at is how can we help and partner with our banks in a even closer manner uh, and help enable them with some of these technology uh, capabilities that they need to uh, to go to market. So we invest a lot in our APIs that we uh, provide to both banks and to fintechs as, uh, as an enablement for them. And we're exploring ways in which we may go yet further uh, in terms of helping them with tech capabilities. There's a shortage of uh, tech talent across uh, many parts of the, the market and helping our partners to replicate the best in class 
solutions from one market to the other is uh, particularly uh, important for us. So I think that's a that's a real uh, emphasis. And then going back to the point I was saying around the fintechs, uh, enabling them through a variety of these programs, either to help them get to a broader market base, uh, connecting them with more banks, or else helping them to grow their businesses through mentoring and advisory and uh, an investment as uh, as is relevant. Yeah, and Anna, go ahead. Anything you'd like to share about the strategic priorities? Yeah, absolutely. Looking from the strategic perspective, what I would like to, to highlight here again, and I very much echo with uh, Godfrey, but I would like this message to, to come across. This is collaboration and collaborative effort of all the stakeholders involved in the financial services ecosystem, or even looking beyond fintech or financial services in the digital world and in the tech world, because now it's really overlapping and we see the convergence of technologies or a confluence and this is very much technology or sector agnostic approach. So that's the first point on collaboration, but also from the strategy point of view, this is very important how we really educate and train uh, not only the users, customers, but also employees, because non-technical skills will be increasingly more and more important uh, in the future digital world. And of course, we need to have this foundation in terms of skills and competences. And I'm also looking from a broader, a broader perspective of digital skills. So I would again highlight an importance of skilling and upskilling and also reskilling, because we should learn and learn and relearn. And all of us, of course. Very good, yeah. We should really take your advice. Godfrey, can I ask you, how does Visa leverage innovation to address key challenges to access? It's super relevant uh, point. You know, the the speed of innovation, uh, it's frankly hard to keep up with. There's too much going on. I'm not sure if you read the payments newsletters. Uh, it's incredible, the the innovation that's, the, that's taking place. Um, from a Visa perspective, we are conscious of what we can do and also what we can't do. And, you know, back, going back to Anna's point around being close to customers, uh, there's a lot of innovation that takes place right at the uh, right at that you know uh, edge of you know customer experiences uh, and young entrepreneurs that you know are in touch with the the day to day needs of their consumers uh, and are really well placed to innovate and create new solutions. So an important part of our innovation strategy is how do we tap into that? So we invest in venture capital companies which operate around the region. Uh, who are looking out for all of those early stage uh, innovations. And we, we have regular updates with them to say, you know, what are the most interesting companies? How can we potentially bring them into the Visa network and how can we uh, support their growth? So that, that's one element. I mentioned the, the Africa Accelerator program where we ourselves are opening up uh, applications for, for players that are addressing some of these needs and are innovating and investing and helping those grow, as well as our broader fintech uh, agenda. And there's the innovation that we do. So we have a number of innovation centers around the region. We have 
a super successful one in Nairobi in uh, uh, in Kenya. We're just opening one in uh, Riyadh and uh, uh, around the rest of the world. And those acts as kind of concentration points and hubs where we can co-create with merchants, with different businesses, with our financial services partners, exploring the edges of what can be done in these uh, in these markets. Uh, we did some really interesting work in Nigeria with the, uh, one of the digital wallets over there, Paga, thinking of, and their challenge was, how do you not only give payments to merchants, but how do you help them more broadly in their business? So we co-created merchant in a box solution, which helps them with inventory management, which can uh, allow them to keep track of their transactions and, and manage their cash flow more, uh, more effectively. In Asia Pacific, we have a program where we co-create internal visa solutions with outside fintechs where they come and partner with us for um, uh, for a year-long program so there's there's so much innovation and we, we need to make sure that we are kind of playing along the various different um parts of the the value chain to uh, to ensure that we're continually on top of it and bringing that and bringing that to to everyone that we work with absolutely and Anna, I'd like to hear from you uh, any examples that you could share of innovation having successfully addressed some of these barriers to financial inclusion. Yes. Yeah, so if we talk about barriers, so again, let me share an example of very inclusive technologist. So uh, Citibank, um, several years ago, Citibank in Asia Pacific, in Indonesia and Philippines, they introduced voice recognition. And this is uh, the interface, how you can... Uh, connect to the call center. So it's not about like conversation AI, we are not that farther, but of course, like uh, if you understand the population there and some people are even illiterate, so what they can do, they can really uh, be recognized um, as a bank users, as a bank account holders, just with, with a voice. And this is like a unique identifier or unique ID. So they introduced them, uh, voice biometrics and voice uh, recognition and when people are calling from their phones even mobile phones not smartphones that can and the uptake of this technology in a way was really huge and massive and very successful because this was the easiest way for people to connect and also to to identify themselves uh, towards the financial services. Of course, we are talking about people who are banked because at least they have a bank account. But this kind of interface was uh, really very much inclusive. So this is one of the examples, again, from the emerging geography and how we can, as payment providers or financial services providers, enable people and uh, enable access for people to financial services. Yeah, very, very interesting example. Now, Godfrey, Visa's commitment to connecting millions uh, to digital payment accounts has already yielded uh, substantial results. But if I ask you to share one example you feel stands out above the rest, can you pick one? Of question, David. Uh, there's a uh, there's a uh, there's an awful lot. Uh, one that resonates uh, particularly well with me i think it's, it's important yeah i don't think we've touched on it so much is also um on the ensuring that there's 
kind of equal gender participation in uh, the economy of, uh, of many of the, the developing markets. Uh, we run a program called She's Next, which is a, a global program, uh, which is specifically targeted on uh, empowering female entrepreneurs. And within the, the Samia region, we spent you know, close to $3 million in grants and coaching uh, through series of workshops uh, to uh, female entrepreneurs across the across the region, about about ten thousand participants, uh, and there's two hundred entrepreneurs that we're working with on uh, an ongoing basis, helping them to kind of evolve and grow their their businesses. Uh, and I think that's that's a great example for me of like a kind of very focused segmented look at you know how we can uh, empower different parts of the uh, of the population that's a, that's one of uh, my favorite and uh, and a similar question for you is there an example of a best use case in this arena that you would like to share so i look from a broader digital services or financial services perspective and of course uh, what people can do with money so it's not only about uh, access to the bank account or banking services, generally speaking, it's not even about payments. Of course, we do transact, we do, uh, we make payments or some other transactions. But of course, this also comes with access to credit. And we, we can have it in, in a form of microloans, but not only. And I would say that there are like multiple levels or layers of financial inclusion. So of course, for many geographies, this is a basic uh, foundation just to have a bank account or not. So a mobile app or a kind of alternative, but definitely this comes also with other services, with credit, with investments, even how people can save money, how people can invest money. And on top of that, it's a digital fitness or some digital skills. So it's not only about financial inclusion, but it's also about digital inclusion, because even for smartphones and a lot of applications there, you have to learn how to use them and you have to adapt certain technologies. So this is very important really to be, to be trained and to learn how to access financial services and digital technologies. Wonderful. Well, uh, I enjoyed that conversation as well, and thank you. That was we covered so many topics uh, in just a short amount of time. But uh, that's it for today's episode of Visa Path to Access. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on the access imperative, unpacking the strategic plan.